Getting Better Healthcare is brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better healthcare and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com physician rating website. There are a lot of interested parties in our healthcare system, not the least of which are the large employers who spend so much money providing healthcare coverage to their many employees. Today we'll be speaking with Helen Darling from the National Business Group on Health. This is an organization, a nonprofit organization, devoted to representing large employers' perspective on national health policy issues and to providing practical solutions to important health care problems. I'm especially honored to have um, Ms. Darling on the show today because she recently received one of the Health Quality Awards from the National Committee for Quality Assurance. The NCQA honored Ms. Darling for her, for her sustained leadership promoting healthcare quality as an issue of commercial competitiveness. She's been helping American businesses become discerning purchasers of healthcare and has helped government and industry leaders understand the economic importance of healthcare quality. Helen, thank you so much for being on the program today. Uh, why don't we start just by telling our listeners a little bit about the National Business Group on Health. Well, uh, thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to be on your program. Uh, the National Business Group on Health is a 35-year-old organization which was founded as a nonprofit membership organization of mostly very large employers. And the purpose of the organization was really twofold, to uh, be a voice for large employers in um, public policy debates and in national circles, because that's uh, a group that usually isn't heard from in the healthcare system, and also to be a forum and a place that large employees can come together to solve problems, particularly problems having to do with uh, in, uh, reducing costs and improving quality and safety of, of healthcare. I'm surprised that large employers haven't had a bigger voice. The um, certainly the federal government pays for a lot of healthcare, but after the federal government, it seems like large employers are spending a lot of money in in some sense are the biggest are among the biggest consumers of health care services at least as a payer well that's correct um, they certainly are important in terms of payers uh, the problem is that they're dispersed so most large employers have headquarters all over the country and frequently they have employees all over the country so they're not necessarily a concentrated force in any given jurisdiction so that's one of the reasons we came together and I presume that um, given the rising costs of health care, that 
this may be as important to to your members as the price of steel and gasoline. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's key. So, first of all, costs are the cost of medical claims and what they pay for for employees and for their dependents is uh, reaching close to twenty thousand dollars for a family of four. And as I'm sure you know, the median income in this country is only about forty-two thousand dollars. So, at the rate we're going, we're spending. We will spend as much for health care as we're spending on anything for employees. So that's pretty sobering, and it means, among other things, that employees have basically been giving their pay raises to the health system for the last, uh, you know, five or ten years. It's one of the reasons that pay hasn't gone up is because more and more money has to go into health care. In essence, pay has gone up. It's just that that pay has gone to pay the people's health care bills. Yes, that's uh, right. So, um, is cost the main problem that the group sees, or are there other issues uh, no, it's, it's certainly a big one, and it's one of the ones that's the least controlled and seems to be the least, least manageable. But the other problem is what we frequently refer to as the value proposition, and that is that for all that we pay, which is usually two, two and a half times, even three times the next uh, advanced Western industrial nation uh, for the same kind of care, we actually do not get um, consistently high-quality or consistently safe health care. So we have a lot of problems with what we get. If you think about it, it uh, it's estimated, based on studies by the RAND Corporation, that about only about 55% of the time does a patient receive the evidence-based care that he or she should be getting when they go to the doctor. And if you think about it, you know, if GE built profile refrigerators and the refrigerator only worked 55% of the time, we'd be pretty horrified, and we certainly wouldn't want to buy that refrigerator. So it's the quality and the uh, poor safety that are as much of a problem, uh, especially in light of how much we're paying. I imagine this must be very, very frustrating for executives at your large employer member companies. I mean, you mentioned GE. They make what uh, turbines for airplanes and stuff, and they're looking at a healthcare system where It's so fragmented. It would be like separate companies making the turbine, making the housing, selling the gas, making the plane, and and the consumer having to put their plane together before they got on it. Right, yeah. Well, and if when it all got together, everything worked, it wouldn't be so bad. Uh, But the, the problem is, frequently, it's that fragmentation that leads to very serious problems, like somebody going home from a hospital and being given some uh, new prescriptions which don't match up with the prescriptions they were taking, and they end up back in the hospital because they have a reaction to the medication that they're on. And, you know, that costs, you know, millions millions and millions of dollars in the United States. Something like 20% of all hospital admissions are, are, are due to or result in readmissions. Well... You know, I have a I have a lot of faith in, in doctors, but I also have a lot of faith in business people. They're very organized. They're they're they've created amazing things in America. So, to what extent have people put their in business put their minds together? What kind of initiatives have y'all come up with to improve healthcare? Well, uh, first of all, we we believe that there are so many problems and there's so many, it, it's such a big, complicated system, because we're a big, complicated country, 
that there isn't one solution. In fact, there literally have to be dozens, and they have to be simultaneously applied. So um, one of the solutions is to uh, obtain data on um, the use of the healthcare system by employees, not not individual employees, but looking at them in the aggregate, where they call them data warehouses. So then they look at what are the conditions and problems that are being treated, and then they are, among other things, depending on who they are and where they're located, they may have an on-site health center that works with patients, um, again, voluntarily if they want. They may be um, asking the employees, again, through health plans, through physicians and nurses, to participate in uh, a condition management program that's uh, specially targeted on their particular condition. So you have a you have an individual who has diabetes, and maybe they're not uh, actually maintaining their condition in the way they should. So they might have a nurse or a nutritionist that calls them up on a weekly basis and talks to them about what they should do and are you know are doing and not doing, and uh, talking to them about some alternative. Uh, treatments or other things they might be doing, for example, like being more active so they control their own uh, health better, things like that. So identifying what are the problems that people are suffering from and then putting in programs that are aimed at helping them to either be healthier or to manage their condition better if they've already got the condition and it's something that, that they're going to have for the rest of their lives but may not be managing well. I've often wondered whether the central problem in our healthcare system is that the person who, the individual person who uses that healthcare, isn't pay for, paying for it themselves. That their employer or the insurance company is paying for it for them, so they have no personal responsibility to to manage resources in a cost-effective way. Is that an issue for your members? And are, are, is there? Any drive towards putting more of the responsibility on patients, for example, through high deductible plans or things like that, to encourage more cost-effective use of resources? Yes. So uh, fascinating that you mentioned what you did because this is we do feel that this is one of the central problems in the U.S. healthcare system. That is um, that literally you have a blank check, and and although some more people are in plans where they actually have to spend some of their own money for the care. Most of them are still not. Most of them are still in the mode where they go and they may pay a $10 copay for a doctor visit, but everything that's done during that visit is decided on between the patient and the doctor, and neither has any financial reason for paying any attention to either whether they need it or whether it will be helpful to them or that will what it will cost them. So that really is a major problem, and it's not just for employers. It's a big problem for government. And when you look at the Medicare program, uh, you know the the use of services in this country is just totally off the charts, and it's expensive. But it's also there's a lot of overuse. In fact, there's a big new, very important initiative that's been developed by the American Board of Internal Medicine and nine medical specialty groups called Choosing Wisely. And what they did was identify, they asked each group to identify five services that um, or interventions that they all agreed professionally, so there was no disagreement at all about the fact that they are overused and they don't add clinical value, they don't add health to the patient. 
and this, those circumstances, and to come up with, you know, at least five of those. So each of the groups has done this. So even those people who are in the field, who are physicians, uh, you know, at the bedside, they can identify all these areas where we have use of health services, which are expensive, that add no value to the patient, to the patient's health, and, you know, maybe in some instances they add value to the income of the people who are uh, providing the services, but they have no, no value to the patient for improving health. Well, I admire the Affordable Care Act's effort to get more people insured, but I sure would have liked to have seen a greater emphasis on, on, on putting those incentives in place that give patients, even more than doctors, the incentive to consider their costs. Because, you know, if it's anybody other than the patient, then it's going to feel like rationing. I'm, I'm sure employees don't want to feel like their employers are rationing what health care they can and can't get. Right. Well, and that's why, a couple of things, we support something called evidence-based benefit design. So uh, we support the idea that if there is clear scientific evidence that something is a benefit, then basically it should be paid for. Maybe there's some cost sharing, but basically we should pay for it. Um, but if we just take out of all of the health care services that are provided in this country, those services that are not based on evidence and, in fact, do not add any clinical value, we would save hundreds of billions of dollars. So that would be nice. And the other thing is that a lot of these services, especially some of the excessive testing, actually result in false positives and things happening. So, for example, if you have a test that, for whatever reason, um, you have a false positive, the next step is usually to have a more invasive step. And, uh, you know, so if you can avoid testing and imaging and things like that that don't give you good information, then you're also not going to have the downstream impact that you will have if you have a test. And this is why when somebody says, like, they'll see a big ad in the newspaper. It really is, it makes us really mad when we see it. A big ad that says, you know, come in and have this whole body scan mm -hmm. and be assured that you don't have cancer and you don't have heart disease. Well, first of all, a whole body scan won't do that. It will not tell you that. That's number one. And number two, that whatever it tells you, it may be telling you things that are not problems. But then once you know, you know, you've got a shadow, uh, you know, you've got this, some fatty tissue that looks like it might be a tumor, then you have to go and have a biopsy. So having um, asymptomatic screening is not just not beneficial, it can be downright harmful. Even the, the, the prostate-specific antigen that I think people thought was going to be so useful, uh, even that apparently is uh, uh, marginal at best. That's right, and, and, and again, potentially harmful. It's, again, it's really important what the individual, uh, what's appropriate for the individual. But some people who are at risk, more often, more often, more frequent screening is valuable, and especially if they put it in the right clinical context. But for most of us, if we are asymptomatic, there's no reason to have a screen, and that's not well understood, especially now, of course, with the Affordable Care Act and a lot of other promotions, everybody's kind of pushing prevention, and the American people have be become persuaded that prevention is good. Well, the problem is it isn't always good, and it 
being done on a routine basis. There was some new study that just came out. You may have seen it already, uh, published by uh, Rita Redberg, uh, talking about the number of over 75-year-olds under Medicare are having a colonoscopy. Now, that's, most of, for most of those people, that is not only not right, it's downright frightening. Hmm. And yet, that we, we know that's happening, and one of the reasons is now that it's paid for, people think they ought to get it, even something that's you know very unpleasant, and most people wouldn't rush to get, but they're doing that. Yeah, I can vouch for the, uh, um, well, it wasn't too bad. The, the, anest- the, the anesthetic made it bearable. <laughs> but you don't need it very often. That's the other thing. They're, it's supposed to be like every 10 years, unless you're you know at high risk. And they're doing it more often. The same study found that mm-hmm. they're doing it considerably uh, more often than even seven years. That's not right. Uh, Helen, um, any final thoughts for our listeners, particularly around perhaps what role consumers can play? Well, consumers really, when you think about it, um, you know, it, a, a typical person maybe spends a total of an hour with a physician all year. The rest of the hours of their lives in a year they spend with themselves so what they can do as individuals to take care of themselves to maintain or 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 return to health is huge so they they have a lot of control that they don't always exercise and should the second thing is that they can they can actually ask a lot of questions so if a physician says to you well we're going to run these tests or somebody asks uh, tells you you should you might say well what is it going to tell me for me? What, what is it going to make any difference in what you prescribe for me or what you do for me? Because if not, I don't think I need the test. So you can push back on a lot of things as a consumer and ask hard questions. And if the physician says, no, this is really important, this will tell me this, and if I don't know that, I, you know, I can't take care of you properly, then you probably should have it. But you probably do a good job um, of looking, looking up, maybe going to the Internet and finding out more from authoritative sources like the Mayo Clinic what, what um, tests might be useful or not, and then decide. But recognize that you as a consumer have enormous control over your health and essentially the length of your life and, more importantly, the quality of your life in the last 20 years and exercise that control as much as you can. Helen, thank you so, so much for taking time to talk with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Helen Darling made some great suggestions. Uh, She points out that various preventive tests and procedures can seem helpful, but not only maybe they might they be costly, they, they may actually impede good health. In addition, Helen pointed out things that employers can do perhaps in large part collaboratively with employees to promote better health, on-site health support, encouraging healthy lifestyles for people with chronic disease, uh, encouraging condition management. I wonder to what extent these are all marginally beneficial things that can help uh, until the day comes when people start taking more personal responsibility for their health. I'm sure that's an issue that we will face again on this program. I hope you've enjoyed our show today and will join us again next time. Getting Better Healthcare has been brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, I wish you the very best of health.
Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.